This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're listening to The Property Show on The Morning Run, and I'm Philip C. Joining me on the show today is Charlie Cole, CEO and founder of Urban Metry, as we take a look at the prop tech industry and how technology has shaped the property sector. Good morning. Welcome to the show, Charlie. Many had high hopes that technology would have been the ultimate disruptor to the property industry. But fast forward to today, with the pandemic behind us, it feels like the progress has been incremental, no? I'm not sure we should open like that. It sounds a bit depressing that we didn't meet any timelines. But I think uh, there are a couple of items that we can dissect this to. Um, So to say that PropTech didn't take off is not exactly true either. So during COVID, we did see a lot of adoption Hmm. of either the VR tech or even e-signing and also e-sales of property developments. Actually, quite a number of marketing agencies did take on uh, aggressive uh, online sales and they were quite successful, actually. So there was a lot of walkthroughs online. Uh, The entire sales process was actually quite uh, well done by some of the uh, marketing-led prop techs. And I would like to commend them on that. But right after... Uh, when COVID starts to open up, after COVID, when people open up, it is really, really difficult to sort of imitate some of these um, experiences on a real-life basis. Mm. You can tell that the real-life experience still trumps a lot of things. So just like dining with your friends, right? So it is very difficult to replace that social interaction with online gatherings. People do prefer that real-time bricks and mortar go to the showroom. Um, and there's that human body language that really does make the sale that is really, really hard to, to, to replace. So I would not say that it has not done well. It did well in the circumstances that it, that was given. But you can see that a lot of things, even with working from home, uh, after a while, people do want that social interaction and, and having that buying a physical space is one of those things that people would prefer to do. And that's why we're having this conversation, I thought, in December, because we had this reopening in the quarter one, quarter two this year. So uh, being able to then assess whether something stuck or not, um, what was very clear then was that we thought that the pandemic would structurally change our buying behaviours, our buying habits. But clearly that hasn't been the case, that people did gravitate back to the touch and feel, to the physicality of purchasing something. And when I listen to you, it really sounds like what happened was that PropTech was used to drive efficiency, that what happened was that the opportunity to essentially tweak or drive incremental improvements in efficiency was what PropTech set out to achieve quite well, but nothing beyond that. So perhaps can you help me understand then what were the tangible successes that PropTech actually did that you think will stick and stand the test of time? So so one of the things that really stuck out was um, during the pandemic, it was very, very difficult for people to do signing. So a lot of the EKYC for mortgage loans, mm. a lot of the uh, applications, a lot of the things that you need humans to do that's rather administrative and inefficient uh, in the past. So a lot of digitization of the banks, digitization of property developments, so how they do signing, uh, how they do their databases, and how they do their inventory tracking processes. 
stuff like that stuck, right? Because the efficiency of, for example, some of the prop techs that we found that was quite successful is registering your uh, defects. So when people go, yeah. right, and see and, and get their houses and then they're sort of like, okay, this is my defect, da, 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 da. Of course, some of the buyers went crazy with that too and prop- some of the property developers was really regretting giving them this tool. <laughs> but But it worked, right? So something that was very, very paper and pen was digitized forever. Right now as an app, right? That you get you can actually do all a lot of this administration stuff. Yeah. EKYC, right? So before this, you can't really sign anything. It has to be wet ink. You need to sit in front of a guy. You need to like, you know, go to Starbucks or whatever. Actually you can't even go to Starbucks, you have to go to the bank. Now you can just with your mobile phone do this. Right, because you have DocuSign, you have things that people do accept today. Um, some of the other stuff that I won't talk about that might cause some controversy, but also basically human uh, processes, things that needs human verification, could now be done online and it's perfectly acceptable. Just like how judges didn't want to go back to the courts, right? They just sort of say, "I can do this judgment online." So a lot of sort of this previously have to be done human, but it's unpleasant to be done in human form. Is now digitized. Whereas the things that are pleasant to be done in human, in, in physical form, like going to a showroom, people will still gravitate towards that. Depends yeah. on what you're trying to solve, right? I see, it's taking out the, the irritants, I think, what you're saying here. The, the manual stuff, the labor-intensive things that we don't really enjoy doing because it's all dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And I have right. to say, the defect detection tools I've seen around have been pretty impressive. Uh, and it's been actually rolling out and I think pretty effective to the point where I think sometimes as a buyer, it feels like a bit of a gamification. Like the more you <laughs> detect the defect, the more you, you get a sense and you can actually track and trace the detection. So I get that, the value of that. And so it is, in my sense, the sense that PropTech has been able to help resolve uh, encumbrances, uh, resolve disruptions and irritants, I think, to it. Were there any specific parts of the value chain that you felt were missed opportunities that you thought, I I wish PropTech or technology actually was able to solve it, but still hasn't been able to do a good job yet? I think there's a couple. I was hoping that, you know, the mortgage applications by the banks could be a bit more digitized. Uh, I was hoping that uh, right now, the housing ministry is rolling out the ESPA. I was hoping that could be emphasized a little bit more and also roll out a little bit faster. Uh, the government or previous government and hopefully not this government is still having a sort of very lock our data behind the door kind of uh, mentality, which were, I, I was kind of hoping that with the pandemic and how, you know, COVID was emphasizing a lot of uh, using big data to solve a lot of problems, that this data uh, would also translate to our major investments, right, which is our home. Mm-hmm. So when you look at COVID, people were so obsessed with, oh, what is our what is our cases today, you know, and how are we, what's the delta? And people, everybody was becoming like an epidemiologist, right? So everybody was sort of like, I can, you know, do models on virus spreads, you know. And all that sort of interest uh, was momentarily quite emphasized because it concerned us directly. But something like an investment of a house, which you you actually do and you have to pay your mortgage every month, people actually kind of like not want to do that steep learning and they kind of do a shortcut. My my aunt told me that this is a good area and a good apartment to buy and that's it, you know? So I was hoping a lot of that could have been translated to better decision-making by home buyers. But yeah. 
Yeah, so this is where I, I sense from you the slight frustration that, look, we are using data, but data is more on a trans... Well, no, we're using technology more on a transaction level, but not on the bigger picture, structural, systemic, decision-making standpoints, right? We are using it to enable and facilitate a transaction, but not to help us make a decision at an individual level, at a state level, at a macro level. And it right. seems to be driven by this hesita hesitation to share data. I yeah. mean, there are ways around this, right, to make sure that the data is perhaps masked, to make sure that confidentiality is not in place. What are the what are the models outside around outside Malaysia where you've seen people successfully implement something which helps us think about our property market on a more structural basis, right, in using so, data and technology? Right. So we don't have to even look very far, and I hate to refer to our our neighbor down south, right? So I mean, like this is you know it's terrible that we always have to look at them, you know, and and how they do it. So uh, the URA publishes these data free for all um, on a mass basis to all their citizens. It's free. You can go on to the URA, the, the Urban Redevelopment Authority, and basically can find any kind of pricing data of homes throughout the island. This data is freely available in the UK, uh, in the US, in Australia, in New Zealand. It's a click of a button, right? People do this already in very advanced developed nations. I don't see why our data is suddenly that much more sort of like amazing or like so precious that nobody should be able to see it. I mean, that's the first thing. If you want to know about fair pricing for, for your population, then housing is a basic commodity. If you ask me, housing is a basic commodity. You go to the supermarket, you want to know what chicken prices are. But nobody knows what the housing price is. That's crazy. I mean, of different kinds of chicken and different kinds of, I don't know, vegetables, right? But in Malaysia, this is all behind closed doors, which is, to me, quite amazing that we don't think about educating our customers or our, our citizens in the one of the biggest purchases they do in their lives. Yeah, and so transparency of data seems to be a big problem here. And perhaps you can help me understand the utility of the data. I mean, I, I wear the macro hat and I think, oh, perhaps identifying where a place has oversupply or whether we see that prices are not going to be sustainable. How can we avert the next property bubble? Um, have we seen the application of data around the world that helps us make sure that, you know, the real estate market uh, will land smoothly? Because this year, we've seen in the second half of the year, huge challenges over property markets, right? We hear this whole impending doom and gloom that the property market will accelerate the next recession going forward. Have you seen people use the data wisely and expeditiously to make sure that we have a softer landing for next year then to avoid a real estate property crisis? You will observe that there are a lot of markets out there. The US in particular has a huge housing crunch, which means that they don't have enough supply. So the insufficient supply during the pandemic Con, like you compound it with the slowdown in construction, uh, you have this you know runaway train called the rent increase, right? Rent increase, and then you you then you lay on top of it capitalism of people starting to hoard single family homes and uh, basically leaving it vacant to flip it for profit is a is a recipe for disaster, right? So even with all the data that they had, I think philosophically the Fed at that time was not sort of like they were kind of ignoring it because of what they wanted to do uh, with the economy and what they decided to do. And then later on now, they're kind of suffering. So they are increasing interest rates and trying to now try to 
you know, rein in the, the the horse that they sort of let go into the market, right? But then you have other countries who whose government are more on top of it. So if you look at Singapore, had a little bit of a runaway in price, had a little bit of runaway in uh, insufficient stock, but they quickly cooled it, right? Primarily because the uh, Singaporean government has almost full control in the supply and demand in the island. They track it to the point and they're able to sort of like accelerate the use of uh, the, uh, accelerate the construction of units or control vacancy in the, the island very, very well. So yes, data is very important. Yes, tracking it is actually, you know, 101. You need to do it. But at the end of the day, yes, it is still responsibility of the actors in the market to actually control, use the data in a sufficient manner, in an in a efficient manner to influence the market, right? Oh, yeah. But the, the rest of the actors, actually, which is the retail people, home buyers, etc., should not only rely on the government, right? We should also yeah. be, be equipped with these uh, information to be an effective actor in this market. But right now, we're just sort of like drifting around waiting for home prices to come down, wondering why it doesn't come down. We had we don't really have a very deep understanding of what's happening. Uh, neither does, I feel like, the other actors in the market. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break for messages and come back for some more discussion on PopTech. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. and with me today is Charlie Ko, CEO and founder of Urban Metri. And as we have a discussion on the future of prop. Tech. I just want to shift the conversation a bit to the actual business of prop tech now. You know, early this year, we thought, okay, we had the best of both worlds. You have the physical and virtual realm. Early this year, you know, everybody was like, hey, let's invest in tech businesses. Let's get into the property business because you we were coming out from the pandemic. But now it's actually done a complete reversal, isn't it? Now everyone is shunning away from tech. There's a whole downturn happening in the real estate industry. How easy is it really to, to start these entrepreneurial prop tech businesses going in now since you're actually now shifting from the best of both worlds to the worst of both realms. Right. So if you look at how uh, the listed tech companies have dropped, the biggest losers are three, right? Uh, so tech overall, you know, 70% down. Then prop tech, you know, Open Door, Zillow, Redfin, all down, right? Then you have uh, FinTech, which is backed on prop tech because a lot of uh, fintech is either the derivative of the market or, or, or things that are moving, right? So everything is down by 70-80%, but it's, it's a correction that is not just in tech. Tech was a symptom. I would say it's a canary. Uh, but the last 10 years since 2008 has been a lot of quantitative easing and that's where the money went. It's just sort of like iterated to the point, right? Yeah. At yeah. this point, when you're talking about these three things, tech, property, and uh, financial uh, tech, it, it, it is very, very difficult to raise funding at this point. I think uh, to to do it, it might be the best time to start something. But if you're in the middle of a raise, it, it's pretty, pretty tough in environment right now. And if you're raising to acquire customers and to to give sort of like easy, easy access that doesn't have an efficiency theme, uh, I think that would be really, really tough. If it's a vanity project, I think better just... Not do it. Reminding us that cash is no longer trash in these times and environments. Yeah. Um, forward. 
you know, that's why, you know, when we started this conversation, there was this whole hope that PropTech would be this massive disruptor that, especially in Malaysia, we are kind of beholden to all these very large property developers, these huge big players in the industry. And in the, to the point where sometimes even we think it's too big to fail, right? These giants of real estate. Yeah. I wonder whether you think that time has come for PropTech to yield and, and sit by the edges to just serve these larger uh, big players? Or does it still have the wind in it to perhaps be a big disruptor, a dragon slayer um, for these big players in the industry then? I think there's two angles to this. One is, do remember that property, anything property is very hyper-local. And anything hyper-local is very very regulated, right? It's a reg, re, regulated industry. Regulated industries takes a long time to sort of like put in your roots and your tentacles. And that's why the property developers are these big giant uh, industries that's very, very hard to move. Can they be improved? Are there a lot of inefficiencies? Yes. So a lot of prop tech companies um, has chosen to tackle these inefficiencies for these big firms to make them, uh, to increase their margins, to make sure that they, uh, you know, take on less risk, etc, etc. And that has been very effective, right? Disrupting it in a construction manner uh, would be very difficult, I think. And whether the industry itself has a lot of growth left, that's also the other issue that you have to think about because Malaysia have far too many property developers, in my opinion. And we also have an aging population. So if the entire population can't grow, the industry can't grow, then what is that to disrupt? If you're taking market share, there is a long, long gestation period for you to to sort of root yourself into regulation, to change regulation, etc. right, going forward in terms of construction, right? In other things that could be more liberal and could be faster to overturn. If you want to, you know, change something that's so heavily regulated in the physical world, that could be quite difficult. Yeah, it sounds like it's super difficult and it sounds like the role is to complement these big players here. Mm -hmm. But I guess the biggest seismic shift we expect is PropTech should shift or evolve the way how agents will collaborate and cooperate, I suspect. That the real estate agents that we know of now will have their roles evolved substantially, right? And we've had many conversations with real estate agents where in the past, you know, you had an agent that was a one-leg kick-all, but you don't really need to have that now. You could have even functional-led agents going forward. How do you expect PropTech to change the profession of the real estate agent? Because I think they've come to the point where we don't think they will entirely replace the real estate agent, uh, but do you think the role will evolve a lot, lot more or have we hit the kind of uh, the peak already about where the real estate agent's role has going to essentially not change very much after this? Uh, I think there has been some pretty impressive polarization in terms of how real estate agent reacted to both COVID and PropTech. You know, I was actually quite impressed. So there were a, so the, the the real estate agents when PropTech came during COVID, especially, I think there was a lot of you know the, the overall markets down, and then there was a rebound, right? Uh, some quite agile property uh, agents they decided to take the opportunity to really uh, showcase their edge in the industry, right? So they took on things like, you know, drone technology. They do really, really impressive, you know, ads, you know, on, on Facebook. They, they learn digital marketing, like, and they built their brand around the trust that they have already with their existing clients, expanded and digitized that trust uh, and reliability and professionalism. And they were, they were using these technologies to actually showcase how they were more 
trustworthy and, and, and professional compared to their peers. And I thought that was very, very impressive. I've seen some of these ads. I mean, like, kudos to them, like, basically um, uh, filming these things and, and, and further uh, sort of pushing some of these emotional points of home buying, right? So amazing, right? And then there's another group of, of folks who sort of just like, hey, we've, we've sort of just done this, like, uh, recipe for butter cake for, like, 20 years. And I really don't want to change. Why are all these things, you know, making it so difficult for me to do something that I wanted to do high frequency and just, you know, clock, clocking my fees in, in my normal way? And I think those pro- uh, real estate agents really suffered, right? Because they're seeing, you know, the landscape's changing, things are moving so much faster. Mm. Uh, the younger buyers have very, very different taste. And you can't really rely on regulation to save you, in my opinion. So I thought that, you know, COVID was great because it, it showed uh, the industry that you cannot do business as usual, right? You really need to push. You really need to, to learn out the new technology. You need to understand uh, what is driving the, the, the concerns of the home buyers today. Like, you know, things like, I don't know, I'll give you an example, maybe, you know, document privacy. You know, before this, if you have an uncle type of a real estate agent, he might ask you to WhatsApp your IC to him. It's crazy. You ask a 30-year-old or 28-year-old today to WhatsApp your IC to the guy to do a booking form. <laughs> he, will, he will scream at you and say, you know, what are you going to use my IC for? Is that encryption? Blah, 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 blah. You know, so, so the, the, the understanding is different already, right? And the professional real estate agents who understand these sort of sentiments, the changing needs of clients, the changing needs of the, um, the landscape, will really, really try them. And so I think, you know, overall, the industry will move to improve. That's all the time we have for today's Property Show. Thank you for being on the show, Charlie. That was Charlie Co, CEO and founder of Urban Metri. I'm Philip C, signing off for The Morning Run. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise, BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.